So pre-K can be dismissed to Children's Church now, only pre-K. And I'll let y'all go ahead and exit. I'm Meredith Dixon. I'm Clark's wife, for those that don't know me. And um, we're going to be reading from Psalm 34, 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord like no good thing. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Meredith. Uh, As we begin, I just want to give you guys a a quick reminder that uh, we have an opportunity to fellowship and spend some time together this afternoon as we have our, can you believe it, kind of Close of summer, getting ready to go back to school pool party at the Willard Pool uh, this afternoon at 4 o'clock. So if you want to come and join us, we would love to spend some time. It's free, uh, just swimming and hanging out together from about 4 to 6 in Willard. So um, I shared with you guys a a couple of times over this series that this last year I've I've been on this kind of kick of listening to uh, Malcolm Gladwell books on on audiobook. And uh, I talked about how one of these books that uh, I listened to was called uh, David and Goliath, but actually, like Gladwell, didn't have any care at all about the biblical story of David versus Goliath. But in this book, he shares uh, an interesting um, uh, study that describes the law of diminishing returns in relationship to wealth and happiness. So Gladwell talks about this in, in the book, and basically it goes like this. Uh, If you don't have any money, you're broke, life is really stressful, and you find yourself like it's hard to be happy because you're literally looking for change in the couch cushions to fill your gas tank. That's tough. That's a hard life to live. So as you get a little bit more money, things get a little easier, stress reduces, you have uh, more opportunity for a little bit of happiness. And as that continues, you have a chance to change your quality of life and improve your life. And essentially, a little bit more money means a a little bit more potential, and that's the word I would use, potential for happiness. But there is a law of diminishing returns, that there comes a point where you've you've achieved so much wealth that now the, the wealth is an obstacle to happiness. And you find yourself more miserable because there's only so big or nice of a house you can buy. There's only so many vacations you can go on. There's only such a fancy car you can drive. And you find yourself actually miserable 
because of the wealth. Now, how many of you guys like to have that problem, right? No, uh, but you guys get my point here. That, so he, he, he talks about this in terms of a law of diminishing returns for wealth and happiness. Now, this is a secular book, and it's, it's a non-Christian idea, but as I thought about this concept, I think there's something to it even in the biblical worldview. I just might use a different vocabulary and, and come at the, the situation a little bit differently. Okay, so if you can, try, try to follow me here. It is my deeply held belief that God wants us to be dependent on him. He wants us dependent on him. So when we are dependent on the Lord, what do we do? We go to him regularly. We find ourselves in prayer often. We're going to him for guidance in each step because we recognize that whatever situation we're in is bigger than us and we need him. So we go to him regularly and we want him to meet our needs, okay? And this is, this is where, we read this just a second ago, and this is why I had Meredith read Psalm 34 for us. This, this is a promise from the Lord. Listen, listen to what we just read again, starting in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So again, we're talking about this idea of dependence, right? If you're dependent on him, you're blessed. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. What's it say there? Again, if you're dependent on him, if you recognize who God is, if you're following him, worshiping him, no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It's this idea that if we're dependent on the Lord, we will find what we need in him. And David, the author of this psalm, seemed to recognize this truth. We are blessed if we take refuge in him. If we seek the Lord, we lack no good thing. When we're dependent on the Lord, he will meet our needs. All right, we're talking about the law of diminishing returns here, okay? Okay, so the Lord, man, it's like he's wise beyond all things. It's like he's... He's infinitely intelligent and smart, and it's like he knows everything, and he can see things from afar. Because the Lord gives us a warning about walking in the blessings of the Lord. That's weird. Are you sure? No, he does. He says, when you walk in the blessings of the Lord, watch out. Let's listen to this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, what we've seen so far as we've gone through the life of David is we see these echoes back from the people of Israel, back from the time of Moses, back through the wilderness wanderings. Okay, and so as Moses is leading his people, they're, they're, he's uh, in, into the promised land. Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy is kind of like a recap of everything that's happened so far in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God gives this warning to his people uh, through Moses. It says this, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of goods that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, put your finger right there, when you're walking in the blessings of the Lord, 
Jump back in verse 12. Then take care lest you forget the Lord. I'm walking in the blessings of the Lord, and he's saying right then, right that moment, don't forget who gave them to you. Don't forget where they came from. Remain dependent on him. He says, don't uh, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. You shall serve him, and by his name you shall swear. So this message is passed through Moses before the people took the promised land. Now what's interesting is they then wander in the wilderness, you know, they go into the promised land, they have the conquest, the whole book of Joshua is talking about the victories and the battles, and then guess what? This whole story basically gets told again. They've they've entered the land, they're in the houses, they're drinking from the cisterns, they're eating from the olive trees, and God reminds the people that just because they've been faithful and obedient to take the land, that does not mean that they do not need to continue in obedience. So he gives this warning again, and we have this sum up in Joshua 24, 14. So go back and read Joshua 24 this week, and you can see the echoes of Deuteronomy 6. And Joshua 24, 14 is this admonition as the people uh, are getting ready to settle the land. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. You're walking in the blessings. You're walking in the blessings. Don't stop being dependent on the Lord. Now, David finds himself in a similar place as Israel once Israel took possession of the Lord. They'd struggled in the wilderness. They've had their battles, all these things, okay? Now it's time to enjoy the blessings. Similarly, the book of 1 Samuel and even the beginning of 2 Samuel is basically David's time in the wilderness. And then we see David's conquest as he uh, secures his reign as king over a united Israel. So where we pick up in the story today, Saul's dead, and David is the king. David had dealt with Saul's son, who made a run at the throne. David had even had a series of victories over the Philistines, and David is living in the blessings of the Lord. But hear me. These blessings of God can be a pitfall if the the presence of the blessings make us less dependent on the very one who gave us the blessing. These blessings can be a pitfall if they make us less dependent on the one who gave us the blessing. So today, today I've got two lessons I want us to to learn, all right? These are two lessons from living in the blessings of the Lord, all right? Okay, lesson number one. Blessings are always a grace gift from the Lord. Blessings are always a grace gift from the Lord. Now, what that means is this. We must never think of ourselves as entitled to them. We must never think that we've earned them. Or that somehow we are experiencing God's, because we're experiencing God's blessing, we have God's authority. Because that happens sometimes, right? Like, I'm living in the blessing, I'm obviously special. And so, since I'm special, 
and all the blessings are around me, clearly, clearly I'm hearing from the Lord. And what I can do is only right because I'm walking in the blessings of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about, okay? You've seen those people, you've been those people, okay? I'm experiencing the blessings of the Lord, so since I'm experiencing the blessings of the Lord, then I can do no wrong. That's a huge mistake. That comes from a position of pride and a misunderstanding of the fact that the blessings are a grace gift from the Lord. So that's, that's number one, okay? Lesson number one, blessings are always a grace, grace gift from the Lord. In other words... Blessings are the result of dependence on God. Now, here's lesson number two. If we forget that blessings are a grace gift, then repentance is always a step away. If we forget that blessings are a grace gift, then repentance is always a step away. Listen, guys, we know this. It is not hard to make bad choices. And sometimes these bad choices are an avalanche, right? Like I made one bad choice, and then I make another bad choice to try to fix it, and I make another bad choice, and then I'm, I'm like rolling at the bottom of the hill covered in snow because my bad choices are getting away from me. Now, repentance here, right? Repentance is always a step away. It takes humility to realize you've gone the wrong direction, to realize that you've made a mistake, to realize that your decisions are getting away from you. So we have to lay down our pride and admit that we haven't earned God's blessing, that we aren't entitled to anything from God. We have to lay down our pride and remember that God is the one who always has authority in our lives. Experiencing the blessing of God can lead us to a place of independence from God if we're not careful. If we begin to think that these blessings are ours instead of from God. I want, I want you to imagine this with me. Imagine you're climbing a mountain, and this is a very difficult mountain to climb. And the whole time you're climbing the mountain, you're praying, oh God, help me get to the top. Oh Lord, I need your help. I need your guidance to get to the top. Lord, please help me get to the top. I'm dying. And you get to the top, and you stand on the top, and you say, look what I did. Okay, that's what blessings can be when we begin to see ourselves as independent, like these are ours. But these blessings are always a grace gift from God. All right, so these are two lessons that I want us to have in the back of our mind as we come to 2 Samuel chapter 6. So where we find ourselves today, David is living in the blessings of the Lord, and he doesn't want that to stop. So you know what he decides? It's time to have the Ark of the Covenant with me in Jerusalem. So he's moved his capital to Jerusalem. Now it's time for the Ark of the Covenant to come with him to Jerusalem. This is going to be a sign of God's blessing and the presence of God in David's house and over all his people. It's a good thing, right? So right here, David's at a crossroads. It's very subtle, okay? This, this trap is extremely easy to miss. David is living in the blessing of God. And he wants that to continue. Is that a good thing? That is a good thing. But does he want this blessing to continue because he feels he deserves it? Because it's his? Or does he enjoy the blessing that comes from living in a state of dependence on God? Subtle difference in thinking, right? 
I deserve God's blessing versus I want to remain dependent on God. Okay, the question is, does David want God or does he want his blessing? Do you hear that? Does he want God or does he want his blessing? Let's jump into the text and look at first, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with them from uh, Baal Judah to bring, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it to the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of the covenant, with the ark of God. And Ahio went ahead before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. All right, now, what we see here is that David saw the value of the ark of God. The ark of God is the chosen instrument given to God's people as a symbol of his physical presence before the people. The book of Exodus does just a great job of describing the ark and describing its purpose. Now, time won't let us read it all today, but let's look at uh, Exodus chapter 40, and we're going to see when the Lord shows up in the tabernacle as the ark of the covenant is brought into the tabernacle, and the tabernacle here is a mobile worship site for the people of Israel that are wandering around in the wilderness. So we're going to jump into Exodus 40. We're going to read verse 21 and skip to verses 34 through 38. It says, And he brought the ark into the tabernacle and set up the veil of the screen and, the, and screened the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now, there's a bunch of descriptions here about the tabernacle and consecration and this and that. And we get all the way to verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they would not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Okay, so what do we see about the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is a, an expression of the presence of the Lord. So in, in, in some human way, the Lord was manifesting himself specifically in this spot so that the people could see God was present. And what we see is the ark goes before the people in all kinds of places, even to the point now Moses is dead and they're entering into the promised land and they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. And what goes out before the people? The priests and the ark. And when they come to the Jordan River, about to enter the promised land, the priests' feet touch the water, and what happens? The Jordan River is split, and the people walk through the Jordan River on dry ground. So we see the ark going before the people. And then what do we know is the first battle they fought in the promised land. 
It's the Battle of Jericho, right? And what was their instruction? To march around the city of Jericho. And what went before the people? It's the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, went before the people. This is a clear sign of God's presence before the people. So, of course, David would want this Ark in Jerusalem, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, the symbol of the presence of God, of course he would want this in Jerusalem. He would want it near him because he wanted to walk in the blessings of the Lord. But David needed to be careful not to repeat the mistakes of Israel and let the ark become about what God could do for him rather than seeing it as an opportunity to worship in the presence of the Lord. What do we know about God and his people in the wilderness? He wanted his people to be totally dependent on him. Manna from heaven to eat and sustain, water from all kinds of weird places like bitter springs made sweet from rocks, from all kinds of places that water didn't normally come. God wanted his people dependent on him. That's what he was after, okay? He wanted David to be dependent on him. He wanted his people to be dependent on him. This was not supposed to be a good luck charm. It was not supposed to be some magic box that when it showed up, blessings just appeared. Because the goal was not blessings per se. The goal was dependence on God and his presence. But the people continued to make this mistake. They began to treat the Ark of the Covenant more like a good luck charm. So, in the, in the days before Saul, if we were to turn all the way back, if you'll remember when we started this story, we started in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel. We didn't read the first two chapters. But if we were to go back to those first few chapters of 1 Samuel, before Saul was king, the Israelites decided to bring the Ark into battle against the Philistines. They had just lost a battle to the Philistines, and they treated the Ark like a secret weapon. All right, we lost. Guys, let's get together. What do we do? Hey, I know. Let's bring the Ark in, and then, then we'll win the battle. Okay, that sounds great. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant in like a good luck charm, like a secret weapon. Aha, you Philistines, you shall be slain. And they get to battle, and they lose. And not only do they lose, but the Ark of the Covenant is captured. So, so look at what, what happens. I just want to read this to you as they make this decision. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 3, uh, verse 3 says, And when the people came to camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh that we may come, that it, do you see that? That it, that it may come upon, uh, among us and save us from the power of the enemies. The people of Israel were not interested in relationship with God. They were not interested in the dependent, on dependence on God. They were interested in what the power of the Ark could do for them. Are you seeing this continually laid out? And, and I'm hammering this home. I'm kind of beating it home. I want us to see that we can begin to pursue the wrong thing. We want the cause, we want the effect without the cause. We want the effect without the cause. We want the blessing, see you, God. And what does that do? That makes us independent from God instead of dependent on God. And this is what the Lord wanted. He wanted his people dependent on him. So this ark is captured. And 1 Samuel chapter 6 says that the Philistines sent the ark 
back to Israel on a new cart. Remember that. It went back. The Philistines sent it back to Israel on a new cart. And the ark ended up in a man's house named Abinadab. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. It says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son, Eleazar, to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Now, if we were to continue to read in 1 Samuel 7, the, the, the text isn't super clear about what happened at the end of this 20 years. But it seems to me that at the end of this 20 years, this is when Samuel becomes judge over the people of Israel. So Samuel then is judge, and he leads the people of Israel into a time of repentance. Then what happens? They ask for a king, and that's Saul. And Saul was king for 40 years. And David then was king at Hebron before he moved the capital to Jerusalem for seven years. Okay? So earlier we read that the, uh, the ark, that David brought the ark out of the town of uh, Baal Judah, out of the house of Abinadab. Now, I'm just giving you some reference here because we saw this name Kiriath-Jiriam. We saw the name Baal Judah. First Corinthians, I'm sorry, not First Corinthians. First, First Chronicles, let's stay in the Old Testament. First Chronicles tells us that these two cities are just two names of the same place. So this is the same town. This is the same Abinadab. So this means that this ark had been in Abinadab's house, I'm guessing somewhere between 65 and 70 years. That's a long time for this to have been in Abinadab's house. So Eleazar, his son, is probably dead. So Uzzah and Ahio are either Eleazar's kids or they're his much little brothers. Okay, so these are the guys who have now been around the ark probably their whole life, their whole life. You ever known any preacher's kids or elder's kids or deacon's kids that run around the church like crazy people, like they own it? Why? Because they've been around it their whole life, right? So these guys have been around the ark their whole life or at least a really, really long time. So they're the experts, right? They know all about the ark. They know all about what to do. And how did that ark come to their house? On a new cart. All right. This is where lesson one comes in. What was lesson one? Blessings are always a grace gift from the Lord. Blessings are always a grace gift from the Lord. We must never think that we're entitled to them or that we earned them or that since we're experiencing them, somehow we have God's authority. All right. So David wanted the blessings that come from the presence of the Lord. But was he dependent on the Lord as he brought the ark to his house? Now, here's what's interesting. What have we studied throughout the life of David? What have we seen over and over and over again in David's life? That he inquired of the Lord, right? He inquired of the Lord here. He inquired of the Lord there. He inquired of the Lord here. He's always inquiring of the Lord. But when it's time to bring the ark of the covenant to, to Jerusalem... Uh, he, he doesn't inquire of the Lord. 
Like literally in chapter 6, which I just think this is crazy. In chapter 6 of 2 Samuel, David is fighting battles. And he inquires of the Lord, should I go to battle? Yes. Should I attack here? No. Do this instead. And so he does what the Lord says, and he wins the battle. Then we look over, and the next thing we see is, let's move the ark to Jerusalem. But let's not inquire of the Lord. What does that begin to tell us? That he was interested in the blessings, but he, he started to operate independent of God. He, he wanted the blessings that came from God, but he was operating independent from the Lord. Man, what a wake-up call for us, right? What we do matters. Now, what did we learn back with Saul? We learned in 1 Samuel that to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. That word obey is so important. Now, hear me. I need everybody's attention right here, okay? I want you to make this connection. We can only obey what we've been told. What we've been told means we're communicating. We're communicating. The idea of obedience is tied to relationship, fellowship, and dependence. You cannot obey what you do not know. To obey is better than sacrifice. He wants us dependent on him. Is it good to have the ark in Jerusalem? Yes, but it needs to be done God's way. All right? We are not, uh, if, if we are not, de- I don't remember what I was going to say there. I'm just going to skip that part, all right? So, so David and Uzzah here, all right, they never sought to be obedient to God. They just wanted the ark in Jerusalem. This was a decision that I think was rooted in self. It was not anchored in dependence on the Lord. And we know this is the case because God had told them what to do already. They knew what to do. Okay? They just needed to inquire of the law and ask God. They needed to read their Bibles and pray. I just want you to think about that. Like, the the books of Numbers... And Exodus, tell them what to do. It was already written down. How many of you guys have ever been faced with that kind of decision? Lord, I want to do this thing that I know is wrong. Should I? Read your Bible. I promise you. He says don't. Right? Like, should I cheat on my wife? Lord, should I? Right? No, the Bible says Don't do that, right? So here he is, like, it it says it. David is one who loves the law, right? That's what we see over and over again in the Psalms. But somehow, he he misses it. So let's look at what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put his hands out on the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, where the Lord breaks out against Uzzah to this day. 
And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of God come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So this, this ark nearly fell off the cart. And Uzzah caught the ark and steadied it. And Uzzah died. And David's reaction is to be mad at God. But the truth of the matter is, he has nobody to be mad at but himself. Now, this may sound silly, but God, God, God literally gave them instructions in Exodus 25 on how to build the ark. They would have been looking at it. And, and there's ringlets built into the side of the ark. Okay? And, and there would have been these poles covered in gold that went into these ringlets that were specifically mentioned, specifically mentioned, never to be taken off. So every indication is that they, they literally picked it up by the poles and set it on the cart. The design of the box says, carry me. Then they had specific instructions in Numbers 4 on how to do it, to the point which family of the Levites should even be the ones to do it. Like, specific instructions on how to move this thing. And, like, and if you do it wrong... And if you touch these things, you're, you're going to die. Now, we skipped over this part, but when the ark first showed up uh, outside of uh, Abinadab's house in that town, the people opened the lid, and they all died. So, like, even built into the story of how it got there is if you touch this thing, you're toast. All right? So, like, this is a holy thing. There's clear instructions on how to do it, and it was just rejected. But David... now. Oh, tell me, this will preach. This will preach. David got mad at God for experiencing the consequences of his sin. God, how dare you bring your consequences on me as I disobeyed? Man, does that sound familiar. If he would have been dependent, he could have experienced the blessing without the consequence. But as he operated in independence, doing things his own way, he experienced the consequence of his decision. And his reaction was to be mad at God. And then it set in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And David's like, no way. That thing can't come to my house. I am, I think in part, unworthy, and also I'm a little ticked. But as he began to see the blessing in Obed-Edom's house, it became a reminder to him of what happens when we are dependent on God. So, after this, after this time, he decides it's time to bring the ark back, but he's going to do it differently this time, okay? And, and this, this brings us to the, the, second, the second lesson we got to learn. If we forget that blessings are a grace gift, then repentance is always a step away. Now, if we go over to the First uh, Chronicles chapter 15 version we see the way that David repented. Repented. First Chronicles chapter 15 says that it was the Levites who carried the ark and that that family that was assigned uh, to carry the ark in Exodus, they're there. So the assumption is, they're mentioned by name. 
The assumption is that the right family was even carrying the ark. David enlists uh, all kinds of Levites to help do this the right way. So this is what we have in, in 1 Chronicles 15, 15, and 16. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles as, what's it say? I love this. As Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Same instructions he had before. David also commanded the chief of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers who should play loudly on musical instruments and on harps and lyres and cymbals to raise a sound of joy. And if we go back then to 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see that David is dancing and leaping and worshiping before the Lord. So it seems to me, this is my opinion, that the first attempt that David had to bring the ark to Jerusalem, David was praising the Lord. But ultimately, the whole day was about himself. And then, in the second attempt, it seems that David had repented of his sin. And how do we know he repented? Because he did it differently. True repentance there is not putting the ark back on the cart. He went to the word, saw what God told him to do, he was broken over his own, I'm going to use this word, stupidity. Moved himself to dependence on the Lord. How do we know it's dependence on the Lord? We know it's dependence on the Lord because he did it God's way. So he moved from independence, I'm going to do it my way, to dependence, I'm going to do it the Lord's way. And as he did that, moving the, the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, he is praising the Lord in a way that actually his, one of his wives says brought him shame. That's for next week. We'll get there, okay? Unless you want me to keep going. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, so uh, he, he, uh, he, he, he brings it in and he's worshiping. He's worshiping. Listen, it's not hard to make bad choices. And like we talked about, choices, bad choices are often an avalanche but it takes true humility to realize you're wrong. He's the king. His way should be fine. Right? But a truly repentant, a truly humble person says, not my way, but the Lord's. I'm not going to be independent and do things the way I want. I'm going to be dependent and do it the way the Lord wants I want the Lord's blessing because I want the Lord. I want the life that comes from dependence on him. Because there's, a, there's, a, there's just like the Lord said to his, the Israelites before they went, went to, the, uh, to the promised land, there is a danger, and I will only say the word danger, a danger of diminishing returns on the blessing of the Lord. If I enter into the blessing of the Lord and I get to the top of the mountain and say, look what I did, now these blessings are about me. But if I get to the top of the mountain and realize I only got here because of the Lord and I want to continue my journey in the Lord, then we find ourselves continually dependent on the Lord, guiding our steps, walking in his ways, and enjoying the blessings that he has for us, not the blessings that we are trying to achieve independent from him. The true blessings that we enjoy are the ones that he desires to give him, so as to give us. So, so as followers of Christ, we must 
be dependent on him. I want to read this passage from John chapter 15, verses 5 through 11. You all know this. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, what's he say here? If you keep my commandments, just like what we talked about, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. What is the secret to joy in the life of a follower of Jesus? It is being dependent on the vine. It is abiding in the vine. It is finding life in the vine. It is seeing that every good and perfect thing comes from our Father. Where is blessing? It is not found in independence from God. Blessing is found in dependence on God. That is what he's called us to, to find him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Where does life happen? Life happens as we're dependent on the vine. Obedience, blessing happens when we walk in obedience. I love what it says here. What's it say in verse 9? As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As we abide in his love, we do things the way he's called us to do them. We walk forward in obedience, not because uh, it's, it's our will and our plan, but because that is what God has called us to, and in that, our joy will be full. At, at this time, we're going we're gonna to transition in our service to communion. We're going to stop and we're, we're going to uh, sing some songs of praise and the praise team can go ahead and come up. We're going to sing some songs of praise and we're going to, we're going to break and take communion. But I want you to think about this as, as the praise team comes. Communion is one of those things that is an act of worship that we're supposed to do on God's terms. He has given us instructions. He says, take communion in a worthy manner. Communion is an opportunity for us, for us to pause and remember what God has done, remember what Christ has done, and be thankful it's an opportunity for us to pause and remember what our, our, the cost our, our Savior paid for us to have eternal life. So as we take communion, we, we drink from the cup, which is a representation of Christ's blood, which was spilled for us. We eat the bread, which is a representation of Christ's flesh, which is broken for us. Now what we have to remember, remember is that our salvation, our right standing with God, comes from a place of total dependence on the Lord. Total dependence on the Lord. Are we able to save ourselves? No, we're not able to save ourselves. He says, come to me, right? And he will give us rest. He will forgive our sins. So as we take communion today, I want you to be reminded of how much we need him, of how dependent our eternity is on what he did for us in the past.
His body was broken for us. His blood was spilled for us. And he died. But did he stay dead? No. He rose from the dead and defeated our sin and the death that we deserve, that by faith in Jesus Christ, we could have life with him forever. So as we take communion, I just want to give some instructions. As we sing this first song, we'll go to the back, and we will get our wafer and our juice, and we will come back to our seats. And at the conclusion of the first song, we'll take communion together. Okay, would you all pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the way that you love us. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Son. Lord, we thank you of the joy and blessings that come from remaining dependent on you. Help us, Lord, in all things to be dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.